Hi, welcome to Trained. At Nike, we believe that greatness isn't born, it's trained. And that means more than just a workout. Each episode, we'll bring you conversations with leading experts in what we call the five facets of training. Movement, recovery, sleep, nutrition, and mindset. I'm Ryan Flaherty, Senior Director of Performance at Nike. I train some of the world's best athletes, like Saquon Barkley, Russell Wilson, and Marcus Mariota. We're back with part two of our New Year's episodes, and we're picking up where we left off, focusing on how we can set goals and strive to be our best in 2019. You're listening to Trained, presented by Nike. On the last episode of Trained, we heard from nutritionist John Berardi and clinical psychologist Dr. Mega Jones-Bell, who helped us understand what it takes to get our nutrition and mindset right as we move into the new year. Today, we're focusing on two more facets of holistic training that everyone should focus on in 2019, sleep and recovery. I can't stress enough just how big of an impact sleep and recovery have on everything else we do. Recovery and sleep allow your body to repair itself, which is how you make progress. There are so many different physiological processes that only happen during sleep. When we're asleep, we release growth hormone. Our cells go through protein synthesis and our bodies repair damaged tissue. And when you don't get enough sleep, that's when your physical and mental performance suffers. Even if you're someone who is in great shape or if you're a trainer and you have a client that comes to you every day, if that person is underslept, their reaction time is much slower compared to someone who is well rested. There are studies that show that someone who is underslept has the same reaction time as someone whose blood alcohol level is 0.08%. It's as if they're legally drunk. But I think a lot of people let sleep and recovery fall by the wayside. Even in my own work, I found that my athletes don't realize why sleep and recovery are so important. Here's something I like to share with my athletes that help them realize why sleep is crucial. Your peripheral nervous system actually takes about 48 hours to recover from any intense workout or stressful situation. Everyone knows that feeling. It's the soreness you feel in your hamstrings and glutes after doing a set of squats. But for more intense exercise, like running a marathon, our central nervous system begins to suffer when we don't sleep. We can't think critically, we're more irritable, and our decision-making skills begin to suffer. And when we don't take time to reset our bodies and minds, we trick our brain into thinking that that state of constant fatigue is normal. And it's not. When my athletes are constantly going, going, and going, and don't give themselves a break, that's when physical injuries and mental burnout happen. So this year, I want you to think about what recovery and sleep goals can do for you or your client's overall health. It's easy to say, I want to get eight hours of sleep every night, or I want to make time for recovery days in my training routine. But to put it into practice, we have to know where to start. And for that, we're first going to turn to sleep expert, Dr. Jennifer Martin. She'll give us some concrete tips on how to make the most of your sleep schedule in 2019. After that, we'll go to physical therapist, Derek Samuel, who will help us set recovery goals and tell us how to stick to them. Throughout the episode, we'll hear from our Nike master trainers. They'll be giving us their number one tips on how to stay fit in the gym, on the court, or wherever you train. But before we get into that, let's get to some sleep advice with Dr. Jennifer Martin. The common misconception that I hear most frequently is that there's some magical thing that I can do to be okay on five hours. We all have an internal biological sleep need, and it's genetic. We're learning more and more about the genetics of sleep duration of how much sleep an individual person needs all the time now. And, you know, I like to use height as a metaphor. I wish I was taller. 
but I can't make myself taller by wishing that. I also can't make myself need less sleep by wishing that I needed less sleep. That's Dr. Jennifer Martin. She's a professor of clinical psychology at UCLA and a researcher at the Greater Los Angeles VA Hospital, where she runs a behavioral sleep medicine program. Dr. Martin's sleep metaphor is great for two reasons. One, it's a good reminder that no one is above sleep. I do want to mention that while there's a ton of sleep research on the benefits and processes of sleep, the scientific community is still trying to figure out why we sleep. But something researchers do understand is that everyone, no matter who you are, really needs between seven to nine hours of sleep to be at their best. And two, just as some people are taller than others, everyone's sleep needs are different. And when you set sleep goals, you got to think about your own sleep habits. Maybe you're someone who has trouble falling asleep. Or maybe getting up in the morning, no matter what time you go to bed, is a struggle. Dr. Martin thinks about sleep goals not as one-size-fits-all, but as do what works for you. Everyone's a little different when it comes to sleep timing and sleep length or sleep duration. Respect your clock is something I say a lot. So I think that knowing your own circadian tendency is what we like to call it. And then structuring your life as much as you can around that can be, you know, it'll make you feel better and it'll make things a lot easier. Sleep goals are no different from other training goals. Like John Berardi and Megan Jones-Bell mentioned in our last episode, the starting point for any training goal is bringing awareness to your current habits. The same goes for sleep. You've got to know your starting point in order to know where you want to change. And the way to do that is tracking your sleep. There are plenty of apps and watches that tell you how well you're sleeping, but you can also keep it simple. Keep a notebook by your bed. On an earlier episode of Trained with sleep expert Dr. Sherry Ma, I mentioned that I always have a notebook on my nightstand. I use it to empty my head and write down all of my thoughts so my mind doesn't race as I fall asleep. But I also use it to track my sleep schedule. Here's what I'd recommend. For a few weeks, write down what time you go to bed and what time you wake up. And from there, Dr. Martin recommends that you pay attention to two things. So in tracking sleep, the most important things are when are you going to bed and when are you getting up? And does that allow you a window that's long enough for you to get a decent night of sleep? The second thing by tracking is you can see how much variation there is day to day. Most of us can tolerate an hour in either direction, but most of us can't tolerate giving ourselves jet lag every week, say, for example, by staying up much later and then sleeping in on the weekend. So after you've tracked your sleep, say, for a couple of weeks, then I think sitting down and looking at where you can make some changes. One of those changes we can make has to do with our own mindset. For most people, sleep is an afterthought. It's kind of a badge of honor to be productive on only four to five hours of sleep. But this year, everyone should strive to get seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And Dr. Martin says that in order to do that, we need to change the way we think about sleep. The one thing I would recommend people do to improve their sleep is to make it a priority. Meaning, when you start saying yes or no to activities, to think about how that's going to affect your sleep. Start by thinking, have I protected enough time for my sleep on that day? A lot of people might think, I sleep when I can, or I can't change everything in my life just so I can get another hour of sleep. And I hear this type of talk all the time, as do a lot of other trainers. We all recognize that family, work, relationships take up time in our day. But prioritizing sleep doesn't mean you're sacrificing the rest of your life. Getting seven to nine hours of sleep actually strengthens our other priorities. If you're going to bed and waking up at the same time every day and getting enough sleep, you're able to be present, focused, and more productive in your life. 
Prioritizing your sleep and keeping your bedtime and wake-up time consistent are the large-scale, high-impact goals. But there are smaller goals we can work towards this year. Like all training goals, there's something everyone can do to change their sleep habits in 2019. The first, Dr. Martin says, is directly related to our nutrition. So my sort of general rule of thumb is no caffeine within five hours of going to bed. And for a lot of people, no caffeine within 10 hours of going to bed. So in 10 hours, you will have metabolized about three quarters of the caffeine that you consumed. So when I work with someone who goes to the gym in the evening to work out and drink something with caffeine or eat something with caffeine, a lot of times we have to cut way back on that so that when they try to get into bed, they're actually able to go to sleep. The second small change anyone can make to improve their sleep this year is limiting your screen time at night. Limiting your screen time doesn't mean that you can't catch up on your favorite TV show in the evening. It just means that you should power down your devices about an hour before you hop into bed. I found that some people, especially people who have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep, actually can do this when they set an alarm in the evening to signal that it's time to turn off their phone or TV. Because when we close our laptops and immediately put our head on the pillow, our body has a hard time transitioning from the awake state to a sleep state. The screens that we use have a lot of blue wavelength light, and blue wavelength light is what affects our internal circadian clock. So the way I like to explain it is that if you are watching TV on your iPad in bed, you're sending a signal to your biological clock that the day is not over yet. And if we do that day after day after day, then we start to feel alert at that time of night, and it gets even harder to fall asleep. So limiting caffeine and screen time are just two small sleep goals. But there are other sleep goals we can think about working towards this year. I'd recommend two things, cutting out alcohol before bed and creating an ideal sleep environment. Alcohol is a sleep disruptor. There's a study that shows about 20% of American adults rely on alcohol to fall asleep. So while drinking wine or beer before going to bed might reduce sleep onset latency, which is the time it takes to fall asleep, it throws off our natural circadian rhythms. And alcohol actually changes the way the body goes through its sleep cycle, either skipping or altering some key phases of sleep. And when we don't go through each phase of sleep, we miss out on the benefits of sleep, like growth hormone release and tissue restoration. And for adjusting your sleep environment, everyone should be sleeping in a cold, dark room. If you can get blackout curtains, that's a great start. And the optimum temperature for sleeping is around 67 degrees. But if that feels like sleeping in the North Pole, then start by lowering your heat just a little bit. Remember, with any sleep goal, it's okay to start small. I keep coming back to this idea of micro steps because they anchor our sleep goals and make them sustainable. But I think unlike some facets of training, it's really easy to lose footing with sleep. I know many people think that if they continuously get five hours of sleep a night during the week, they can make up their sleep debt by sleeping until noon on the weekend. But that's not how sleep works. The idea that you can pay your way out of a sleep debt is sort of true and sort of false. Uh, and, and the way that I frame this for people that I work with is that we're kind of doing it backwards. So what most people do is they sleep deprive themselves five days a week and try to make up for it two days a week. And that, that doesn't work. Uh, what we can tolerate though is getting enough sleep five days a week and then having one or two days where our sleep isn't so perfect. That advice is something everyone should be thinking about throughout this year. It's okay if you stay up late on the weekends or if you wake up early to go to the gym two days a week. It all comes back to Dr. Martin's number one tip. Make sleep a priority. It's about taking sleep seriously. Treat it like you would treat going to the gym. 
because sleep really does affect the way we perform. I've worked with a lot of endurance athletes where really kind of the mindset part is so important. And I think some of the resiliency and toughness that you need to get through a really long day like that, it's, it's hard to muster if you're sleep deprived. What I see is a lot of deficits in mental toughness, decision making, regulating emotions, things along that domain. You know, not getting enough sleep increases your chances of having heart disease or di and diabetes. Sleep deprivation increases your risk for having all sorts of accidents. The benefits of sleep go way beyond performance and mindset. A good night's sleep can impact the way our body breaks down food. Some studies show that people who don't get enough sleep are twice as likely to have type 2 diabetes than people who do get enough sleep. And it's because when we don't sleep, our bodies can't process sugar and insulin in the way they're supposed to. And it's not just that. Dr. Martin says that a lack of sleep can affect so many parts of our nutrition. There is incredible emerging science right now on how not getting enough sleep affects food choices and metabolism. So one of the things that we're learning is that when we're sleep deprived, our body craves calorie dense, sweet, salty, sugary things. So when we think about managing nutrition, which we all know is such an important part of athletic performance, not taking care of our sleep, it's, and it's not necessarily willpower, uh, not getting enough sleep affects some of the hormones that regulate our appetite. So if you eat a high carbohydrate meal at one time of day versus another, uh, it may actually be processed and stored differently. So we've talked about the effects of sleep on mindset, performance, and nutrition. But sleep has such a huge impact on recovery, it is recovery. You cannot separate the two. And when we think about sleep this year, we should start thinking about it as just part of our larger recovery routine. For people who are training, uh, professional athletes, weekend warriors, it doesn't really matter. Sleep is a really potent anti-inflammatory. When we're not getting enough good sleep, that inflammation is higher. So sleep can really be beneficial in terms of reducing uh, the burden of inflammation that comes with intense training or even a hard workout. Uh, you know, one of the other benefits of sleep is that this is when our body releases growth hormone, which is also part of our, you know, our physical restoration, I guess, to, uh, you know, kind of say it in a simple way. Sleep also affects our uh, muscle memory. So if we're trying to acquire a new skill, uh, say, learn to hit a baseball or a golf ball or something like that in a slightly different way, the actual learning uh, is enhanced with a good night of sleep. So it's not just what's happening in our body, it's also what's happening in our brain uh, that I think leads to some of the real benefits of a good night of sleep. Sleep is what lets us reset our bodies and minds each day so we can face all types of physical, mental, and emotional challenges. But another big piece of that reset is recovery. And that means giving your body a break while also allowing your muscles to stretch and strengthen. Recovery and sleep go hand in hand. So that's why we're sitting down with Derek Samuels to learn how we can recover well in 2019. That's coming up after the break. But first, we're going to Dave Carson, a Nike master trainer, for some training advice and tips for maintaining a holistic approach to fitness. If you like what you hear, you can find more tips to train from our other Nike master trainers in the Nike Training Club app. I know how much time and thought go into designing these workouts because I've created some myself. They range from 10 to 45 minutes, and some require little to no equipment, so you can do them anytime and anywhere. Download the NTC app on Android or iOS after the show. 
But for now, here's Dave. Hey guys, I'm David Carson, and I'm a Nike Master Trainer based in Chicago. If you really want to make lasting gains in the gym this year, my biggest tip for both personal trainers and athletes is this. It might seem like an odd place to start, but in order to stick with any training program, you've got to start thinking about life outside the gym. It's not enough to say, I'm going to go to the gym three times this week. You have to make room in your life for that to happen. I mean, actually write it out in your calendar and make it a non-negotiable. That means that block in your schedule doesn't change for anything. When we put non-negotiables in our schedule, we send a signal to the rest of our world that nothing else can come between us and our workout time. Not friends, not plans, not work, nothing. This is your time. Once we set that gym time, the people we surround ourselves with and the rest of the world knows our day-to-day routine and won't interfere with our training. That type of discipline is what keeps us on track to achieving our goals. Motivation comes and goes, but discipline, setting that non-negotiable workout time, and sticking to that schedule no matter what pops up is what really helps us progress in our training. And if you focus on staying disciplined rather than finding ways to stay motivated, you'll always be able to stick to your training goals. That's just one of my training tips. If you're looking for more info on how to become the best athlete you can this year, check out the Nike Training Club app. In it, you'll find holistic guidance and free workouts designed by Nike experts. There's something in there for everyone, no matter your experience level. My personal favorite is the Progressive Plyo Circuit Workout. Go check it out. That's Nike Training Club app, available on both Android or iOS. What someone should be looking for in their recovery routine is something that resonates with them, something that makes sense to them, something that seems tangible, that they can really integrate in their daily schedule. It needs to be something that makes sense, that's easy to do, and just doesn't really sound like an overwhelming task. That's Derek Samuel. He's a physical therapist whose practice goes above and beyond your typical PT. He has worked with all types of athletes, everyone from NFL stars to beginners who are looking to improve their overall health. Derek and I sit on the Nike Performance Council together, and I know that Derek thinks about the way recovery plays into all facets of training. A lot of people might think recovery consists of massages and stretching, but it's about so much more than that. Recovery is about keeping our body in homeostasis, which is the state of balance and equilibrium within the body. It's when everything that could be off balance, like our pH levels or body temperature, is balanced. But when we put stress on the body, whether that's physical stress like muscle tears or dehydration, or psychological stress, that's when homeostasis is threatened. And when we recover, we help our bodies return to homeostasis. But if we don't recover after we've put our body under a lot of stress, that's when we're more likely to injure ourselves, overextend ourselves, or even compromise our immune systems. But when it comes to New Year's goals, Derek knows that recovery techniques typically aren't a priority. When someone says, I don't have time to incorporate recovery into their training routine. I agree, they don't have time. Who has time for this sort of thing? So that's where if we hit some of the things that we're probably already doing, but yet we clean up those things, then we can really get a little bit more out of, out of our recovery and start to enjoy that sense of well-being. So if you want to improve your recovery this year, you don't need to start from scratch. Derek's advice to get your recovery right in 2019, 
Focus on maximizing the benefits of the three things you probably already do. If we look at sleep, you're going to go to sleep, so you might as well go to sleep at the same time each night. You might as well sleep in a room that's a little bit colder. You're going to take a shower, so you might as well ease into that shower and, and, and drop down that temperature a little bit more so it continues to cool down your core temperature. And you're going to be wearing socks. You might as well wear compression socks. Number one, sleep. Number two, a cold shower. And three, compression socks. These might seem highly specific, but when working towards New Year's goals, the more specific we can be, the more likely we're actually to stick with them. So let's break these three tips down. We've already talked about sleep with Dr. Martin, but there's a real reason why Derek also mentioned sleep as one of the top recovery goals. Sleep is probably the greatest known performance enhancer known to man. It's been shown to decrease our chance of getting sick or getting hurt. And uh, certainly a lack of sleep has been shown to have uh, weight gain in recreational athletes as well as elite level athletes, increased chance of diabetes. So sleep is number one, but I want to get back to that cold shower Derek mentioned. The cold shower is what Derek recommends to all of his clients. But for his elite athletes, Derek recommends a more intense version of that cold shower, hydrotherapy. There are three types of hydrotherapy that both Derek and I use with our athletes. The first is taking an Epsom salt bath for about 15 to 20 minutes. Studies show that adding Epsom salts to a warm bath, that means getting the bath water between 100 to 103 degrees, loosens muscles and stiff joints. The second is contrast water therapy, which consists of hopping in cold water for about a minute and then immediately getting into warm water for a minute, all the way up to around 15 to 20 minutes. It's possible that this method could allow for increased blood circulation and alleviate muscle soreness after a workout. We can really look at the role of contrast water therapy. It's a little bit more intricate in that you have to have two different things, not just the cold tub, but you have to have a, a warm tub. The warm tub is typically 100 degrees, so right around the level of their core temperature after we exercise. The cold tub, same thing, roughly 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. We do a one-to-one -one ratio, so one minute in cold, one minute in warm. The literature seems to suggest that doing that seven times, so roughly a total of 14, 15 minutes, really seems to work out very well. So that's something that can be done within 30 minutes of the exercise. The second is cold water immersion. That's when I have my athletes hop into a freezing cold pool after a workout. Some studies show that cold water immersion can improve recovery by reducing fatigue, muscle soreness, exercise-induced muscle damage, and inflammation. It could be ideal for a midweek recovery tool if you're training for an intense competition. And while this recovery technique can be really effective for some people, hydrotherapy is not a one-size-fits-all technique. So a typical protocol for cold water immersion would be we have one of those athletes get into a cold tub, typically for about 10, maybe 15 minutes. And that's something which they can do to lower their core temperature. That's something they can do to really help speed up recovery. To the recreational athlete, they might be sitting there saying, well, that's completely ridiculous. It simply hurts to get into something that cold. So there's a variety of different modalities that the recreational athlete can do if they don't want to sort of go that route. One of which, and the evidence has really shown how incredibly effective a cold shower can be after a workout. You don't get quite the same benefit as getting in a cold tub, but if we get into a cold shower immediately after our workout, then there really seems to be a lot of upside that can happen. There's a lot of physiological things that happen when we expose ourselves to, particularly to cold, 
and some of the, the various uh, things that it can do to us. It can increase our beta endorphins, which increases the sense of well-being. It could increase our dopamine levels, which helps with voluntary movement and sleep patterns and motivation and mood. Increase serotonin and neuroadrenaline, which also helps with moods. If cold water immersion sounds like something you want to try, you don't have to commit to going to a facility. You can do it yourself. Fill a bathtub with cold water, check the temperature with a thermometer, and add ice as needed. But like I said before, it's all about micro steps. If those lower temperatures are unbearable, start with something a little warmer. In an earlier episode featuring Michael B. Jordan, Mike told us how he likes to use ice baths. He gets in a warm bath, and then he slowly adds ice. And that's something all trainers can recommend to their athletes. That will lower the water temperature without experiencing the shock of getting into an ice-cold bath. Or do something even smaller. Start with a shower. Every time you go to the gym, you should do what I call an hour in a shower. After you work out for about an hour, you should always leave 15 to 30 minutes for a cool down. So why not cool down with something you're already going to do anyway? A shower lets your body start to relax and reset without adding yet another step to your routine. And I like to take it a step further. When I shower, I like to turn the water to freezing for the last 30 seconds to get some of the benefits of hydrotherapy. But there's something even smaller that everyone can do to improve their recovery after a hard workout. The other thing that we have a lot of our elite level and recreational athletes do is use compression socks. Absolutely no net investment with that. You're already putting on your socks. Compression socks can do all sorts of things to help improve performance, especially if you're a runner or someone who wants to get back into cardio. Just like hydrotherapy, compression socks increase oxygen delivery to your muscles and improves blood circulation so your body can recover quickly. While these are great goals to strive towards, remember, recovery is about doing what works for you. When I set recovery goals with my athletes, we always think about the way their body works and what they're hoping to get out of a recovery session. With some of my athletes, it's all about hot-cold contrast therapy or stretching. For some, it's about tending to old injuries. And for other athletes, it's about strength and speed training. Between days of intense sprinting and weightlifting, we'll do a few yoga sessions. Recovery is about responding to your individual needs because everybody's body recovers differently. And when you're really paying attention to your internal cues, the benefits of recovery go way beyond physical improvement. There's a psychological bounce back to recovery every bit as much as there's a physical bounce back of recovery. An athlete knows how they feel, whether it's an elite level athlete or a recreational athlete. I think an athlete can feel a little negative going into a workout or a training session if they still have a delayed onset muscle soreness. For example, if they're in a phase of training where there's a little bit of tissue damage. But to get all of the benefits of recovery, you don't need to take ice baths after every gym session. In fact, you shouldn't. Recovery goals can be simple. They can make your training more dynamic or help you anchor yourself into a steady workout routine. And best of all, Derek says, they should be temporary. I probably wouldn't do it for more than a few weeks because we really don't want to dampen the adaptation, but try it and see if you like it. If you don't like it, it's totally fine. You don't have to stick with it. I'd say do it for a couple weeks, but then take a couple of weeks off. Recovery does not need to be a long haul. It's not the sort of thing that you have to do forever and ever. It's a lot easier for people to kind of wrap their mind around. But Derek's biggest recovery tip for 2019 is something that everyone can do before they go to the gym. As a physical therapist, Derek sees all types of injuries, most of which are preventable. So before you take your first steps towards training recovery, make sure that you're staying safe, that you're setting realistic goals, and you're progressing at a pace that works for you. So I usually tell people, think about recovery. Of course, that's important. But think a little bit more 
about your workout program. Think a little bit more about your progression of your workout program. If anything, those first few weeks back in the gym, do too, almost too little as opposed to too much. I see so many repetitive strain injuries in January and February that it is simply ridiculous. I see a lot of tendon issues in January and February. I see a lot of issues that were simply preventable. Think a little bit more about your progression of your workout program. Start out slowly. Trained is produced by Nike Training Club Pro. If you're a trainer, join a community of trainers looking to make fitness better for everyone. Learn from leading experts in movement, mindset, nutrition, recovery, and sleep. And get an exclusive 30% discount on Nike gear. Apply at nike.com slash ntcpro. We'll be back next time with a conversation with Sarah Sigmund's daughter, the world-renowned Olympic weightlifter and CrossFit athlete. This is Trained. Talk to you soon. Consult your doctor before engaging in an exercise program of any kind, especially if you have a medical condition. Use good judgment and common sense about your own fitness level and ability when engaging in a training program. If something doesn't feel right, stop immediately and seek medical attention as necessary.